Welcome back to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Borak, and today I've got a very special episode for you guys. It was recorded at the U.S. Open on Grandstand Stadium with fellow ball boy and longtime friend, Matt Belillo. We grew up playing tennis together, and now Matt is a amateur Muay Thai fighter trying to transition into MMA, which we will cover on this episode a little bit. But for now, let us stick to the tennis and get tipsy. Maybe we can get the kachink of the beer. Oh shit, we're recording. Okay, we're live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. I am your host, Adam Borak. And today I bring on a very special guest, no long time nemesis. He is a semi-professional Muay Thai fighter, a semi-recreational tennis player. <laughs> And the second biggest bitch I know in tennis, <laughs> I bring to you Matt Belillo. Hey guys, uh, Adam, thanks for having me on the pod. No problem. In the spirit of tipsy tennis, let's, uh, let's crack open our brews. We are recording this episode from the one and only Flushing Meadows, Queens, US Open. We are currently in Grandstand, sitting on one of the, sitting in the crowd. All the matches have ended. Most of the matches have ended for today. We got a lot of history behind this place, you know. Played a lot of matches here, you know, against each other, against other players. Ball boying at the U.S. Open. List goes on. List goes on. So actually, we were we ball boys before we played. Thanks. I didn't start ball boying until 2010. That was my first year as a ball boy. I didn't start until 2012. 2012. So we knew each other as ball boys before we started playing so each I th- other. We played each other for the first time, I believe, 2013 summer. But uh, for a little bit of context, I was a freshman. Matt was a senior. And there's this tournament in New York City called Mayor's Cup. So look at this freshman stud making it to the quarters. I'm a senior. And fun fact, I played Adam the night or the day uh, after my prom. I know. So I was like, you Yo, know. Yo, when I found out that I you were hung over for that match, I was so pissed. But, I was not in the zone, but Adam, you know, he brought it. But we we played a match. It was, um, he, you won the first set. Yeah, Like 6-3. Six, 6-3. Three. Three. Six, three. Yeah. I won the second set, 6-4. Six, 6-4. Four. Six, four. And then uh, we played a full third set. And we're, I was up 4-0. And then I lost 6-3 or 6-4. Yeah, and he I'll, just collapsed at the end, and he was tight. I broke a, ma- a racket during that match. He broke a head speed right on his shoe. I broke it on my foot. Do you, I don't know if you that remember that. That was crazy. That. I was like, yo, this kid I just, like, got I, his foot checked out after the match because he broke it on the side of his foot. I was, like, in shock. I didn't mean to break it. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but I didn't mean to break it. That That's where our tennis rivalry started. Yeah. That's where it started. But we'll so that was the first match. We'll get to the second match a little bit later. How'd you how'd you end up did you lose next round? Oh yeah, I lost the next round. Mm. I made I made it to the semis and I lost to Was the guy good? I lost to the number one seed. I think he was playing out of Horace Mann, which is actually not a New York City public school. It's a New York City private school, but they got accepted into the mayor's cup because What's the guy's name again? Uh Andrew. I think it was Andrew Arnaboldi. That's who I played in the men's in the Okay. In the boys' semis. But then after that, we were ball boys for the U.S. Open, right? So tell- Yeah, that's when we got a little bit tighter. You know, we were working at the U.S. Open together every summer, August, like three weeks. Um, back in the day, prior to 2019, you had to be able to throw from back of the court, 20 feet behind the baseline, to the other end of the court, 20 feet behind the baseline, even bigger on a stadium court. So if you didn't have a rocket arm consistently, you were going to be, you know, in the back. You're also a little short 
Filipino speedster, Speeding Gonzalez, running across the court. Thank you for that comment, Adam. I was a speed demon. Not only were you a speed demon on court, you were a speed demon in the lounge. We were playing Egyptian Rat Screw. That was the official game of the U.S. Open ball you, I don't. I think Chinese poker was the official game in my Come book. On. In my book, Chinese poker was the official game. But we'll, uh, we can debate that later. I'm a little biased because I was good. Yo, I was worse at Chinese poker so for you, sure. I remember you and Action Jackson. Action Jackson. You guys were you guys were the you guys were the kings. You guys were the pharaohs of Egyptian rat screw. Yeah, we're the, the Ash Buddies and great at Egyptian rat screw. That the US Open days were so fun. What kind of matches did you get while you were a ball boy? Give a, give us the highlights or any kind of. Well, I started input. in 2010. My last year was in 2016. Uh, okay. I was fortunate enough to get Ash my rookie year. And I remember it was a men's doubles match. And it was a day session. It was nice. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm getting a stadium court my first year. Um, I know I can't expect too much of this, but we'll see where it takes me. And there are a lot of politics behind the U.S. Open ball persons. And that's like another whole separate pod. But um, shout out to a Breakpoint <laughs> podcast with uh, Frankie and, uh, and Marcus Smith. They covered a, a, much of that. Oh, yeah. I was on uh, that pod with our guy, Anthony Santino. What's up, guys? I don't remember. Now I'm Anthony. here with Adam Borek. Oh, Anthony was also a ball boy. Yeah. Maybe if you showed me a photo. I don't remember a lot of names from it, but I remember everybody's face. Yeah, he's a face guy. But um, yeah, there was a lot of politics behind the U.S. Open ball persons. And I personally didn't know a lot of them behind the scenes. But um, if you did, you got good courts. I just was fortunate enough to get good courts. I was like, you know, I worked hard. I was fast. I was net. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. I believe it was a 2016 year or a 2013 year. I can't remember which one. I remember Stan winning the Open that year. But it was Stan versus Djokovic, semi on Ash. And I'm on court. I I remember Brian Perry. He was, uh, I think he was the crew chief on Ash that shift. And... Stan hits a serve in the net and it starts rolling back towards the baseline. And he does that little flick up, you know, towards the net because I, I run across the net because I thought that, you know, I would be able to get it, but I wasn't able to get it on time. It rolls towards Stan and he kind of flicks it toward the opposite side of the chair at the net where I'm standing. And on Arthur Ashe Stadium, if you're a net, you have to kneel. Yep. So I'm kneeling right now and he flicks it up towards me because I'm on his side of the net. And I have to stand up and jump up and catch it with one hand. And I get it successfully. The crowd, and the, the crowd, crowd goes nuts. The <laughs> crowd goes absolutely bonkers for this. Wait, hold on. Were you one of those two ball people that was on Ash that collided with each other? Yeah, that was me. That That's was another you? story. That was a, for a Serena Williams match. She, Serena Williams versus Carla Suarez Navarro. I can tell that story right after the Stan story. So basically, Stan hits the ball to me. I stand up and grab it with one hand and I come back casually down on my knees. And I, I stay silent. And then Stan's about to hit a second serve. But he has to pause because the crowd's going absolutely apeshit for my catch. <laughs> and I'm looking at the crew chief with a thumbs up like, yeah, man, I just totally did that. And um, he's like, yeah, man, you totally did that. He's like, like, you know, nodding his head towards me like, yeah, man, that was that was pretty awesome. And then after the applause dies down, Stan hits a second serve. And, you know, I finish out the shift. I come back to the perch where it was. That was where we had to report back to our supervisors after the end of our shift. And then um, our supervisor was like, hey, Matt, that was a pretty nice catch out there. And that's one of the biggest, you know, that's like a core memory that I have. It was my best memory of the U.S. Open work in that big match. And I think Stan went on to win the tournament that year. Nice. 
But anyway, Serena Williams versus Carlos Suarez Navarro. Ash, again, with my buddy at net, Action Jackson. I'm at the net, so is Jackson, and we have this other kid. He's a redhead. I can't remember his name. I'm blanking on it. But Serena's playing, and she has match point. She's playing against Carlos Suarez Navarro. She hits a first serve in the net, and I'm running towards it. And normally when the ball starts rolling from the net towards the back, the back or the net will signal to the other, you know, ball person, like, hey, I got it. Just go back to your post. We both signal, hey, go back to your post. So we're running full speed and no, you know, at Arthur Ashe Stadium, night match, Serena Williams, we're all fast. We're both signaling to each other, hey, you stop. No, you stop. No, you stop. No, you stop. We collide in the center of the court. Head on, bang, bang, head to head collision. We both hit the deck. We're out for like maybe two seconds. We both get back up. We grab the ball and we run away. We run away. And Serena Williams, she's just shaking her head. She's like, I can't believe these two idiots just did that in front of me. I remember seeing that and everybody's just like, what the hell? Everybody thought like both of you guys were like running head down, like, let me get this ball. And then just like, oh, I ran into this guy by accident. I don't know what happened. There's also, I think, Brian, he got that hug from Schiavone. Oh, yeah, that was cool. Like, I need a hug right now. <laughs> I need and a just hug. hugs a ball boy, and it happened to be Brian. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah, we're recording a podcast right now, bro. You're on a podcast right now? We're recording, yeah. Oh, okay. What's your podcast called? Tipsy Tennis Podcast. Right. Thank you, bro. You too. Those were some court attendants on um, no, grandstand. I, I think those were just fans. They were fucking around. No, bro. They had cameras. They had their phones. What do you mean cameras? I mean, not cameras, but they, they definitely I, work here. No, I think they were just fucking around. And this guy's a NARP. Oh, man. I hope he's not a NARP. Oh, my God. We don't have NARPs on the podcast. No, no NARPs. Absolutely not. Let's uh, actually, I think that's a good segue to jump into our second match. This rivalry that we've had spanning multiple years. Oh, yeah. So After we, our meeting in 2013. I'm a little bit disappointed to say that I'm 0-2 against you. <laughs> Even though... So the first match that we played when I was a freshman, you are a senior. You are supposed to win that match. You were seeded. I'm a seeded senior. You're a senior. Playing against a freshman that somehow made it to the quarters. And I'm like, oh, shit. Because I'm nice, I'm bro. I'm going to lose this third set. Um, <laughs> But then... the. You know that one stung. I'm not gonna lie, that one stung because I really, I really wanted to to go as far as I can in that one. Yeah, I feel that. But the other one also stung just as much. <laughs> you know why? Because during that time, you were doing like whatever the fuck you were doing, and I was still playing. And I even showed up. This is a tournament. What's the name of the tournament? Oh, this was Tatang's Cup. Tatang's Cup, guys. A New York City Parks recreational, recreationally. Uh, it's just, mm. just a bunch of, like, lawyers and doctors from the community that just host a tournament. Yeah. They I probably get the permits. and they Recreationally run. They have a bunch of permits. They rent out a whole bunch of courts. They sponsor the tournament, give out prize money, give out food and whatever. Didn't Pete win it, win it that year? The, the 5-0 one? Pete won the singles and he beat my boy Vince. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a good match. That, that was, was really a good, good match, yeah. But we did we, And the funny thing is we didn't even play in the tournament. We saw each other at the tournament. And we were like, hey, 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 how's it going? And it's like, you want to play a set for 20 bucks? We had a pride match, a rematch. A oh pride rematch. Oh, my God. And it was tight. 7-5? Seven, 7-5. Uh, seven, seven, five. Five. Seven, five. Seven, five. Yeah. 7-5. 20 bucks on the line, 7-5, several years later. And that one stung because, like, I was playing. I was still training. 20 bucks in my pocket. What do you... I know. I was, on paper, I was supposed to lose that match 6-0. <laughs> 
I had no business winning that match. You, I, well, the one thing I remember, you were, you're quick and you were just like consistent. You just kept on getting the ball in and just. Yeah, like, I had to. You know, I was not in training shape, so I just had to put a lot of back, balls back in the court. Bank on my experience. Bank on the fact that I have a one zero advantage against this guy, and just make sure he cracks. <laughs> So one question I really want to ask you, you're a, you're a semi-professional Muay Thai fighter, something uh-huh. like this. Yeah. Take us, first give us some background into what kind of, you know, the, the martial art experience you have. All right. Um, I started training in 2012, so I have about 10 years of training experience. I didn't get my first fight until 2014. How um, old were you when you started? I was a junior in high school when I started training Muay Thai, so I was maybe 16 years old. And then by the time I got my first fight, I was maybe 18 or 19 years old. And in, within the Muay Thai community, there are fights called smokers. Smokers are exhibition fights that don't count for your record. And I have two of those. Um, right now, I'm 4-1-1. One, and one. So four wins, one loss, one draw, official, no smoker. And then two smoker on top of that. So ring experience, total eight visits. What's your record in the smokers? Uh, doesn't count for the record. So, but like, did you win? Did you you guys just fought just for the sake of fighting, or like what? Yeah, I mean, both of them went to the decision, and it was just you know it was very close to tell like who won what smoker, and it's not scored by judges. It's just that if you don't get KO'd, it's a draw. Okay. So I have two of those, and I first had my first fight in 2014 official fight. I lost that fight, and then since then I've won three and then i lost one and then i just recently won a fight last month by uh ko who's i was very fortunate enough to get the win i was training hard what is it like to step into the ring and fight somebody it's a very brutal sport it has very similar rules to boxing there are timed rounds if you win the round you get 10 points if you lose the round you get nine points and if you get knocked down in a round you only get eight points so you could technically be winning a round and then if you get knocked down you'll lose the round 10 8 if you get knocked down twice you it's 10 7 um mm-hmm. it's tough getting into the ring and going in against someone that's trying to hurt you you know someone that's trying to knock you out you know trying to hurt you as bad as you're trying to hurt them just to get the win what made you want to get into it i had some cousins that were into mma and they wanted to do jujitsu to start their mma training as their base uh i didn't want to copy them but i definitely want to get into mma so they went the grappling route, I went the striking route, and I think it's paid its dividends. I think I'm doing pretty well in my transition to MMA pretty soon. So you're like a semi-professional, you would say, or what? Like, yeah. do, you make, do you make money off of your matches? Technically, amateur fighters are not allowed to take prize money. But um, I will say, like, a lot of amateur fighters take money under the table. There's a lot of sponsorship money going around. And technically, the promotion itself is not allowed to pay you, but they get a lot of money from the amateur fighters bringing tickets in, and then the amateur fighters will collect some commission, but it technically won't be put under a pay stub for the fighter as a fight commission. So there's a lot of under-the-table stuff going on, but I won't get too into that. But definitely the pro fighters that are listed as pro fighters will make a lot of money from fighting. But even the amateurs are not doing it for free. I will say that much. Um, one, one burning question that I've been waiting to ask is what, what parallels do you see between being a training as a professional fighter and a professional tennis player? 
Oh man, I love the one-on-one aspect of this sport. It's similar to tennis. I grew up playing tennis my whole life. And when I, after, even after college, I was thinking to myself like, hey, like this sport is very similar. It's a one-on-one sport. You're going up against the guy that wants to win just as bad as you, training just as hard as you. And you gotta test your skills against someone that wants to win. And that's what really drew me to the sport. Even though my cousins did have a big influence on me, um, a boxer, Manny Pacquiao, one of the all-time great, you know, all-time greats of boxing, um, Filipino guy, he drew me into the sport or, of boxing and combat sports in general. Yeah, definitely as a kid looking up to Manny Pacquiao, um, it was just a huge motivation. Even though not being Swiss, I'm like an American Filipino playing tennis, looking up to Roger Federer like, hey man, this guy's really good. Um, it wasn't the same magnitude as looking up to Manny Pacquiao. He just, he's known for having the weight of a whole nation on his shoulders. And um, that was really a big factor in me wanting to pursue combat sports. How close are you with the Filipino community as like growing up in America? Yeah, I've been to the Philippines as recent as 2019. I have some family there. I have family on both my mom's side and my dad's side in the Philippines. I went to go visit them both. And I can't say there's like a huge difference between the Philippines and America. It's just that America is obviously a little bit more developed, but um, in the Philippines, there is also a big gap between the rich and the poor. But uh, I will say that I'm, my mom's side and my dad's side are fortunate enough to not be on the poorer side of the Philippines. So I was pretty well taken care of when I was in the Philippines. And Adam just poured us a shot. So for the sake of the Tipsy Tennis podcast, we're about to take a shot mid-pod. Cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers to uh, Tipsy Tennis. Cheers to Tipsy Tennis. I <coughs> went down the wrong. I went down the wrong. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the pod, Adam. I'm really having a great throat. time right here. We're sitting in grandstand. Just two old tennis friends just shooting the shit. Making a podcast, talking tennis, talking life, right here at the home of the U.S. Open. But actually, we're coming from one of our friends' matches at the qualifying round. While uh, Matt and I were ball boys for the U.S. Open, we had this one friend, Alex Kovacevic, uh, who played at the at the qualies this year. He lost first round, unfortunately, today. We actually come, we came directly from that match to uh, to film this. He lost to Dennis Novak, 7-6-6-1. He had, I think, two match points in that first set tiebreaker, or set points. Yeah. He was up 6-4. He, re- he was receiving at 6-4. So Novak had one match point, uh, one set point under his serve. And then Alex, he, he was serving bombs the entire match. I was like just ace aces man but alex was hitting some big balls but he just couldn't get it together in the big moments i think he might have gotten a little (laughs) tight we talked to him after the match and he said he felt he felt a little bit tight but overall i thought personally he did well but it just wasn't enough to secure the win today yeah shout out for uh uh alex kovacevic i was saying kovacevic but apparently that's wrong. I asked him when uh when I when I walked up to him after the match and I played a juniors match against him. I think it was 14s and under at Randall's Island. 
Because I hear, I, I know a few friends and they have stories like this. Like, oh, yeah, I know this person from back in. I have one friend who, who's, who's on the podcast who, uh, who's from Serbia. He played against Djokovic as a junior. I have another friend who's from uh, Belarus who played against Azarenka as a junior. And so I feel like this is my, oh, this, I played against him as a junior. But it, it's so cool to see somebody that we grew up with play the u.s open especially coming from new york city these are the home courts i mean i don't know how serious you were about tennis i mean at least i wanted to when i was like a little kid i, I dreamed about going pro did you ever think about like oh maybe i'll make it to the main the, to the u.s open one year as a ball boy of course man who which kid like you know doesn't dream of going pro living in <laughs> new york city home of the u.s open doesn't dream about going pro as a kid playing as a serious junior tennis player. How serious were you as a junior? I thought it was pretty serious. Were you, you know? playing USTAs? I was and... playing USTA tournaments. I was playing sectionals, nationals. And um, I was part of this organization called NYJTL, and Alex was part of it. That's why we all came to, you know, come see his match. He was part of that tournament team. He knew all of the players. He was a big part of our team. Even, I was, even though I'm a little bit older than him, he was playing at a much higher level than me even as a young kid and he was just keep he just kept on pushing it even throughout his you know teen years college years adult years he just made it way farther than me or way further than i ever dreamed of playing you know he was like a d1 athlete he ended up playing for a d1 college he was the number one singles player and then i remember last year he even played the u.s open and he won two matches at the qualifying rounds I wasn't there to watch it in person, but I know that, you know, I was supporting him from, you know, from the sidelines. I was seeing him, you know, win his matches from, like, from the TV uh, or just, like, the online stream from the U.S. Open qualifying. He won two matches. He was in the third round of the qualifying rounds, and he was one round away from playing in the main draw. And, you know, if you make it through the main draw or you make it through the qualifying rounds into the main draw, who knows where it would have taken him, you know? You play on a big stage and you play a big name and you're the hometown kid, you could totally step it up and take that win. And then his career would have stepped off, you know, it would have took off from there. But um, I'm happy that I was able to see him play tonight. I, I thought he played well. I can't wait enough. until he makes it. Yeah. He's going to make it. I know he I know is. he's going to make it. I know he's going to make it. He's, he's 23 years 23 old. 23 years old, young kid. Uh, he hasn't even hit his prime yet. He's going to be going out to Asia in a few weeks to play some matches on the Challenger Tour. Definitely going to win some matches, pick up some points. And he'll be back next year. I'm not, I, won't even, I don't doubt that he'll be back next year. He'll be back. Uh, God willing, he'll qualify, make it to the main draw. First round match, play you know, Novak Djokovic on Ash, take him out. And we'll see how it goes from there. I mean, man, I would... I would kill. I would literally kill to make it to play at the U.S. Open. Like, if if I was given a scenario where somebody put me in a room and it's like kill this random person and be able to play the main draw of the U.S. Open, or not kill this person and go to the, and not play the U.S. Open, guess what I would do? I would. I would fuck this guy up just to play the U.S. Our Open. Our guy Alex is living the dream right now. He's and living. He's the not dream. a murderer. He's not a murderer. He, he, I, I bet a part of him died today, <laughs> but he's not a murderer. <laughs> we love you, Alex, no, man. I, we wish you the best. 
I think he, he's on to great stuff. And Don't I, kill anyone. It's so, Just it, keep killing them on the tennis court. Uh, exaggerations and, and hyperbole aside, uh, <laughs> anybody who wants to play tennis knows that there's not a lot of money in tennis unless you're in that elite, honestly, top 40, 50 in the world. Yeah. If you're outside of that, it's it's a grind. And they're not doing... Most tennis players aren't doing it for the money. They're doing it for the passion. You know, the money is nice, and I'm sure they're always looking forward, and, and they want to do well in certain tournaments for it. But this guy has the... He has the skill. He has the passion. And I, I can't wait until to see him... See this guy go. Um, but on that note, I think... We can wrap up this episode of the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, man. Adam, thank you for having me on the pod. It was great. Um, we really stuck to the name of the pod, Tipsy Tennis Podcast. We're a few beers in, a few drinks in, and we had a good time. Nothing is uh, scripted. We just shared our feelings. We shared our experiences as tennis players growing up in New York City. We're recording here at the home of the U.S. Open. And uh, yeah, man, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for having me on the pod. It was a pleasure. Nice. On the count of three, we are going to say stay tipsy. Sounds good? Sounds good to me. One, two, three. Stay Stay tipsy. tipsy. Good night, guys. Good night.